0: Well, welcome, friends, to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, you can find everything that we talk about here at halfwaytherepodcast.com. And uh, it's been a little while, but I want to encourage you, if you haven't left us a rating review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, that is appreciated. An honest review, but uh, if your honest opinion is five stars, we appreciate that as well. And uh, it just helps us be seen and show up in the charts. So thank you for that. Well, today I'm excited to bring you a uh, guest um, who's all about expectation therapy. I can't wait to hear about what that means and what we can learn about expectations. He is Art Costello. Art, welcome to Halfway There. Thank you for having me, Eric. I'm glad to have you. You, it was uh, fun to meet you um, at the conference we were at a f- weeks ago. Now, but uh, it was it was good. You have some interesting things to say. So, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing now.
1: Um, I'm uh, Art Costello, and I'm the founder of Expectation Therapy and Expectation Academy. Basically, what I do is teach people to manage their expectations. Uh, I believe that God planted the seed of expectation in every man, woman, and child. It's up to us to manage them for the goodness of his word. And uh, it has guided me uh, throughout my life. I'll tell you my story as a nine-year-old, what happened to me and how my faith grew. Uh, And I'm a firm believer in it. And and God has worked miracles in my life, uh, both up and down. And it's very interesting. uh, Once you learn to manage your expectations and base them in God's word, it really has a pronounced effect on your life and how you move forward and how you handle the challenges that are presented to us each and every day, because we have thousands of expectations every day.
0: Yeah. And the hard ones are the ones we don't even know that we have, right? That That is correct. That we are expecting. And then... That, I find, uh, creates a lot of conflict, and so awareness is, is a big part. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that, so I can't wait to, to get there. Well, so take us back into your story, and how did you, um, how'd you come to faith? You said you had that moment at nine years old, but tell us about your family before we get there, and kind of what, what was the faith situation like before that?
1: Uh, basically, what happened was is when, prior to my nine-year-old experience, we lived in a very urban area, I played baseball. It was my identity. It was my life. Mm. I was going to be a major league baseball player. My uncles, everybody played baseball with me. Uh, huge Dodger fans. Oh, no. <laughs> Brooklyn at the time. <laughs> I'm 71 years old. So
0: <laughs> yeah. So, right, <laughs> so this is a good time for us. <laughs> right now, they're playing the Red Sox in the World Series. They probably won't be by the time this is out, but we'll we'll know how that turned out. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we lived in a very urban area. For some reason... My parents decided, actually, it was my mother decided she was going to uproot us and move us to a very, very rural area where I had no one to play with, no kids, no no ballpark, no any place to go, just this farm. And uh, I became very lonely, depressed, uh, lost, abandoned. Uh, it was a very difficult time in my parents' life. Uh, they were they were I don't want to say separating, but they were separated by distance because my dad couldn't find a job where we lived, so he had to move to a city sixty miles away. So we didn't he wasn't uh, around me anymore. But I felt very abandoned. And in that process, I went to this hilltop that was by our farm, and the farm I got to tell you was not what you envision as a beautiful farm. This was a place that the house was almost uninhabitable. We had no running water. We had no indoor bathroom. Uh, The walls were falling down. My mom's idea was we were going to rebuild it and redo everything. And it didn't materialize as fast. Anyway, uh, in the process of all that, I kept going to this hill. And I would lay on my back and I'd speak to God. Mm. And I can't tell you the number of times I went up and down this hill, but it was many. One day I'm laying up there looking into the universe and I can remember like it was yesterday asking God what was going to become of me because I was so lonely and and ostracized in our community. We were outsiders. We weren't welcomed. And I just felt lost. And I heard God speak to me through my through my body. He said, be faithful. Be Mm -hmm. faithful and it will all work out. And after many, many, many trips up and down that hill and talking to God, I began to believe in that voice. I knew that God had a plan for me. I knew that I had to figure out a way to get out, get out of the circumstances that I was in. And at 17, I joined the Marine Corps, which was my escape. And I went in the Marine Corps and went to Vietnam. Uh, all throughout Vietnam, I relied on this voice that was inside of me, God's voice inside of me. And it, it, it got me through Vietnam.
0: Yeah. Which was a, was a horrible war. And it was definitely an interesting, I'm sure you have some stories about that. What, so tell me like, why, why though did you talk to God? Was that like, was your family Christians or were they, was it just something you just, you were out there and you sensed his presence?
1: I knew, I believed in the higher power. I just okay. believed in a higher power, even though my my family was were Catholic. Okay. But not non-practicing. Uh, my idea was my parents took us to church on Sunday, dropped us off at the at the doorway and picked us up when service was over. Yeah. Gotcha. But I did have that basis that I knew that Jesus and and about God, I knew that. So uh, I think when we I think there, we have an intuitiveness. In I think God gives us the seed mm-hmm. of expectation in us. And if we explore it and are open to it and we listen to it, he will guide us how to, how to do things. He will actually guide us through it. And that's part of what expectation therapy is based on is identification. I get people to identify truly within themselves. I tell them to go to the most safest sacred place that they can find and have that conversation with God. Have it with them, their inner self and, and listen and then start to move forward and start take action. Because what I've learned through all this is that God gives us the tools. It's up to us to apply them. He does not apply them for us. That's why he gave us free will. He gave us free will so we can make the choices. But if we listen to him and we listen to his word, We read his word and we move forward every single day with that faith because I believe faith is what changed my life. Because I think at nine years old, when I went to that hilltop and I started to believe and I believed, you cannot blow me off of my belief with dynamite. I am as solid in it as anything there is. I know it to be fact. I know it to be real. And you can't Blow me away from it. You yeah. Know? And yeah. I, I think that it's really uh the most powerful thing that we can develop is trusting that and believing.
0: Right. Absolutely. That so believing and and just trusting that not only is he real, but he is able to speak to us and he wants to speak to us. I think that's fascinating because you know, my story, I grew up in a whole different kind of context where we were very bible based and we were functionally cessationist, so we just didn't think God did anything today like that was back then, you know and um even though we would say he he could, but he just doesn't and so that which is kind of a different place to come from right so you as a as a kid, you were like hey i'm I'm all about talking to god and and God responded, and that really sounds like it carried you in a lot of ways,
1: yeah, you know at different points in my life, I look and uh through the good and the bad i mean you know i mean the hard time in vietnam
0: yeah Uh, tell us about that i
1: think of all the things that i could have if i had turned right but turned left instead yeah i could have ended up blown up by a landmine because i was around guys that took the left turn and got blown up but i always was guided around things and through things i had a very uh intuitive. I was very intuitive uh, in Vietnam. I'm very aware of my surroundings. And I think it's because I'm so aware of what God wants of us and what he wants us to do, that it it really is, it's a powerful tool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Um, so I recently watched the, um, and I don't remember if I told you this or not, but I watched the Ken Burns documentary on Vietnam. Very fascinating mm-hmm. kind of a kind of a story. And so, yeah, you hear about some of that stuff. There were landmines, there were, you know, you just didn't know. There was a lot of a lot of crazy stuff. So I can't imagine having been there, but you, so you kind of used your intuition to, to walk literally through the jungle and find God through that and stay safe. Yeah. And, I, and, I,
1: and I was always looking for the goodness in things. I can you know, tell you a story. We were coming, we were coming around one night off of a, a patrol and we came down across this bridge and into this village And when I looked down, there was a little girl standing at chicken wire with her hands up on the chicken wire. And once my eyes connected with her, I said, that's me at nine years old. She's lonely. She's lost. So I went back to our compound and asked the chaplain happened to be there that day and asked him, do you know the village up the two clicks up the road? Do you you know in there? And he said, yeah. He said, that's the orphanage. Oh, wow. I went and helped start supporting that little girl and other kids in the orphanage. My parents helped with it and it gave me purpose. It gave me purpose and God used me to help a lot of children. It didn't turn out so good in 1968 after I had already come home. The village was overrun by the Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese and they all the kids were lost. Oh, wow. But, uh, you know, for for three or four years, those children had some kind of hope in their life. And, uh, you know, I was part of that. So out of out of a bad situation, I've, I I yeah. was able to perform some goodness.
0: You were serving.
1: Yes. And I, I love serving. It's, it's, I do it today. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I just love serving people.
0: Yeah. Well, interesting. Well,
1: how else did you
0: learn to, uh, more about the Lord besides just the way that he spoke to you? What, how, how else did you dig into that and develop that relationship?
1: Uh, I got out of the Marine Corps in 68 and uh, started going to college. And uh, I went to Orange Coast College in Costa Mesa, California. And a chapel was just established in a tent called Cal- Calvary Chapel. And Pastor Chuck Smith was there, the pastor. And uh, I used to, on campus, uh, uh, They'd bring a lot of groups and there was a lot of stuff. And I started to hear about Jesus. But in around 71, uh, I had gotten married and my wife and I bought a new house. And our neighbors were uh, associated with Wycliffe Bible Translators in uh, Lamarada, California. And their parents had been in Wycliffe and they witness to us. And Chuck Smith uh, baptized us in uh, Newport Beach in 1971. And I started really understanding what the Bible was about, what the Lord was about, and uh, how he saved me. And uh, I grew from there. And just the biggest, I won't say the biggest, one of the best blessings in my life was learning to surrender in the word. Yeah. I mean, it just, it, it just was a a full circle completion for me.
0: Yeah. Well, that's really an interesting part of your journey. So you so you kind of knew God was there and you were even speaking to him. I love that God does that stuff. Like that, that really is kind of cool. And then yes. you you learn later about about Christ in a new way. And that is would you say that's when you gave your life to him? Oh, it is when I gave that's my when life, you gave when your life to him. I surrendered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Wow.
1: Totally, totally.
0: I love that God does that. he just yeah. he amazes me
1: all the time. Do you know what really amazes me? You want to hear a look a list of the pastors who have had a big impact in my life, and I was in their churches at the inception of them. Chuck Smith, Charles Swindoll, Fullerton, Evie, Evie uh, cha- wow. uh, Chapel, John Maxwell, when he started his church in San Diego. Wow. Uh, I mean, I've just had some incredible... Uh, pastors that have uh, got me involved in their Sunday schools and 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 in their ministries and really have helped form me uh, into the man that I became. You know.
0: Yeah. What, what would you say the effect is of having such uh, amazing pastors? Like, what what are some things that you can point to that you learned from them specifically that you maybe wouldn't have if you didn't have those kind of people investing in you.
1: I watched them grow. I watched mm. them grow. I watched yeah. EV free go from a hundred of us. I think the first time I attended there, they may have been 50 of us in the, in the chapel. And I watched it go to almost 30,000 people. Same with John Maxwell. Wow. Same with, with Chuck Smith. I mean, all of them, I watched their growth and I under, I started to understand that everything in God's world is a process. I mean, he does perform miracles, but i'm convinced that he gives each and every one of us the tools that we're we can use to become what he wants us to be and he he lets us grow that way and i think i the biggest thing i learned was is let god work let god do his work and watch things grow if you're faithful and you believe then you're going to end up this is what faith is all about being here And not knowing what's going to be out here 20, 30 years later and being able to maneuver it through it and manage it and and be happy with it because God created us to be happy. He did not want us to be unhappy creatures. It it saddens him to see us as unhappy creatures. Understanding how his plan it works for us is a big part of it, you know, because he does not promise us what a lot of what I think people think. He promises us that if we do the work <laughs> that he'll provide for us, he'll, he'll make sure that we're taken care of.
0: Yeah. Well. So what do you think people think about what God does?
1: I think I see a lot of people who pray, 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 and don't do anything. Yeah. And they wonder why God isn't doing anything for them. Because it's God wants you to do it for you. He just gave us the tools. Right. You can pray on it. And there's nothing wrong with praying. You just have to add that added ingredient, which is effort. You have to make the effort. You, you can pray about changing the world. But unless you go out and preach and do the things that God wants us to do, you can't change the world. That's how I think expectation therapy came out about Because I did not ever plan on writing a book, Expectation Therapy. I let God talk to me through my experiences, life experiences, you know, and and that's how it came. When my wife passed away, I'll I'll skip a whole bunch of years, but through, through 71 to 2003, I lived a charmed life. God loved me. I loved him and I did everything that I could to help people and all of those things. In 2003, September 23rd, I'll never forget it. My wife and I walked into a doctor's office and he told her, Vicki, you have ovarian cancer. I think we can get a hold of it, but I'm not sure. For three years, I, t- I put everything aside, business, pleasure, everything. And I helped her fight her fight for cancer. And on uh, September 16th, 2006, she passed away. Mm. My world ended. Uh, She was God's gift to me. I loved her. We had three beautiful children. Uh, But in honesty, she had left me with some tremendous gifts and I promised her certain things. I promised her I'd pay all the medical bills. I promised her I'd behave and not fall apart. I promised her. She promised me that I would find another woman who would who would love me as much as I loved her and I didn't believe her. Wow. I turned around and I started drinking. Things that I had never done in my life, drinking, going out, acting like a jerk. Three years later, my kids come to me and said, hey dad, you promised mom you wouldn't do this. And I got back down on my hands and knees at 2.30 in the morning on the lawn of our ranch outside of Austin, Texas. And I said to God again, God, what is gonna become of me? Mm. And I heard that voice again. That voice said to me, I've given you the tools, get up and use them. It turned me around like that in an instant. I got up from laying there, went to my little old computer and started writing. And out of that came the book, Expectation Therapy. Because when I look back on my life, I realized that God planted the seed of expectation in me many, many years ago when I was born. He rejuvenated it at nine years old. He rejuvenated it in Vietnam. He rejuvenated it when Vicky passed away. I just had to apply it. And I started writing and things came out and out of it has been this journey of seven years now six years of this growth of expectation therapy and i really believe that what god has commanded of me is to is to let everyone know that their expectations matter that what and how we matter is really very important to our growth as Christians to our growth as human beings, uh, our discernment, how we go through things and, and figure things out. And I'm just blessed. I'm just, it's been the biggest blessing in my life.
0: Yeah, that, well, thank you for sharing that story. Because I often ask about how, you know, your faith has been challenged or a time when God felt far away. It sounds like that period after your wife died was really a, a big wall for you. And you kind of went through that and had to find yourself a little bit through
1: that through that
0: process.
1: God God works through mysterious ways. There is truth in that.
0: He does, he
1: does. Yeah,
0: so anyway, so you you kind of went through that that period of dark night if you will. And you and you found this this message at the end. What tell tell me tell us more about expectations and kind of um that why that message is so important. All right, so, what I love about what you're what you're saying are is there's something about I, I think a lot about the human being, and there's something about the human being the about the way that God has made us that um, I don't know that all of our theology takes and our practice takes into account. And so, at least in my experience, and I can obviously only speak to that, but I think one of the things you you were talking about, um, you know, when people pray and they ask God for things, but then they never, they don't go out and do anything. They, that you know, it, it is one thing to say, I need to trust the Lord. But like we, we were studying Elijah in our church right now and he goes out and he goes to the, you know, to that fight, the fight with Baal at the, mm. on, the on Mount Carmel. And he's like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust the Lord. And he, he does he prays, but he also does all the things necessary to set up the sacrifice, and then he takes some action afterwards, and he kills a bunch of people. But that's but he he's involved, right? It is not just him relying on God because God has made him for a purpose. God has given him something that uh, you know the volition and the will and the the ability to act in the world. Those are things that are actually inherent to being a human being. And I think we get that wrong sometimes, because we think our destiny is just to be like on cloud nine in heaven somewhere. When really we're going to be rulers and reign, reigners, right? We're going to we're going to be ruling over the world the way God intended for us to rule over the world. That's not going to be passive. And so when when you're talking about that, that's that's the thing that I was like, ah, this we have to talk about that.
1: <laughs> well, I, you know, I think that that's, that's that is a truth. You know, yeah. I mean, because our purpose. Uh, our purpose as we think it as humans, is not what God's purpose may have for us. and we fight that quite often uh, in, in a myriad of ways that we we fight that. Um, so yes, uh, but uh, you know the other part of me is we need people to pray for us. So there's it's not, there's nothing bad about praying. I just think that that when God has a purpose for us, that we need to listen to it because he, we will know it. We will know it in, on our, in our bodies, you know, we'll feel it. And then it's when people have that feeling and they don't act upon it, that that really probably is, gets me more upset than anything. Yeah. Because I realize that people can have a, have, have a duty, have a, a, a purpose in praying. But I think that if we all prayed that, not a lot would happen because we have to be, there has to be doers on this, this earth.
0: Yeah. Well, it's both. And it's not either, or, and yeah. you, so you totally, and that's so interesting about the, but uh, what you said about, we feel it in our bodies. We kind of get this, this feeling. I can point to times when I had a feeling when I like knew that this is the thing to do and I had to, I had to go do it, but you're the second person to say that to me actually today. So I'm, I'm fascinated <laughs> by that. Uh what like must what, be something in it. Yeah, right. <laughs> what so what what do you like what I don't know what do you do with that? Because this is one of those things, you know, for those of us who grew up in a reformed tradition or sola scriptura, only the Bible, that's it's a challenging idea uh to think about how we interact with God on a personal level.
1: So what do we what do we make of that? I think that what um I understand what you're saying, but I think one of the important things is that uh, I, I'm big into emotional intelligence mm-hmm. because I think once we can identify our emotions and know how to maneuver around them, it releases us to to explore other parts of ourselves, our body. But I think when you totally believe and you totally surrender to to Jesus, that your body that your body starts telling you because you've surrendered it to Him. And he will let you know when to, to feel certain things, how to do it. I'm very intuitive like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am very keen in listening to my, to my body because of the experience. I had a nine-year-old. A lot of nine-year-olds, it, that, the thing I find fascinating is at nine years old that I had the intelligence to realize what was going on and that I had to leave, that I was being called to leave. My brother and yeah. sister stayed there at, the, at our farm. And my brother passed away last year, but he led a very unhappy life because of drugs and alcohol and mistreating women and all those things. So I'm totally different than my, my brother and sister. My sister internalized it and has a lot of medical issues, uh, scleroderma, uh, diabetes, so she internalized all that. But I I, I surrendered it all to God. Yeah. And, and even though there was a period of time in there that I didn't know what I was doing, it all came together in, in 71 and, and on in my life. And it just amazes me that when I surrendered, that God took over my life and he moved it where he wanted to. That's the lesson in all this, is once you surrender and you believe and have faith, boy, your life is going to go the way that God intended it to go. It's a tough thing to do. But I think that I did it because I was at a point in my life where I was so low that I was so susceptible to anything that I could see that would, would help me. And luckily, the God was in it, not the devil. Yeah, Because I could have went the other way. I could have went the other way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So praise the Lord for that. Praise Him. Wow. Okay. All right. So I want you to take us into so you write this book about expectation therapy. And I want to know what, what are the kind of main points in this? How do we understand expectations? And how you know, maybe let's talk about awareness. How do we become aware of our expectations and, and why is that important?
1: Well, I think it surrounds around being mindful. You know, if you become mindful of something and start applying it, it really has, it really becomes ingrained in who you are. And I think that, you know, going back again, I think I became very mindful as a nine year old of my life and what was going on. But when I stepped back and started writing and I started realizing that God's expectation of me was planted as an infant, you know, at birth, before birth. And he planted that seed in me. And once I started learning how to develop it, and what came of it was the first step in expectation therapy is to identify, which I've explained, go into a place and really do that. The second is clarify it. Clarify it in the sense that you are positive beyond all reasonable doubt by anything, that this is what you're supposed to be doing. And then third is solidification, which is writing a, a, a written plan. And following it through, becoming married to it, and actually carrying it through. It actually came out of a physics uh, formula called the formula for expectation. It's what scientists use to figure out the probabilities and the possibilities of an experiment. The three principles of it is to identify, clarify, and solidify it Mm. mathematically. So I just took it and turned it into a... A, a protocol for changing your behavior. You can change any behavior with this uh with your with expectation therapy. So it, it's not complicated, it's rather simple, but it's so effective because it gets to the root of what you want to change very quickly. It gives you a clear written path of how to get around it, you know, how to maneuver through it. And it works. It just absolutely works. And it came through God. He put it all in my head and made it all work out.
0: Yeah. I love that. So tell me, like, give us an example of how you have used this in your life to some positive results.
1: Uh, In my own life, uh, whenever, whenever I have a problem or or a task that I see deem is difficult that is going to take more than just snap judgments. What I do is I put those three steps in and pretty much what I've learned to do in my life now with things that I'm trying to mull through, I use all three steps rapidly in my head and I use them for almost everything that, that, uh, that I do really, it's just become such a process with me that I just rotely do it and run it through. Uh, I've used it with employees. Uh, when I had my business and uh, I was having, uh, say, uh, issues with uh, getting job, you know, I was in construction. We get issues with jobs getting done, and I would look at it and see, identify where the problem was, make sure that that was the problem, sit the employees down. We come up with a written uh, plan how to uh, maneuver through it, and it worked every single time. Every single time, once we had the direction then it, it just, it it's, it's a process that just works. It's a, it's really a problem solving process that will work on any problem that you have. So it, you know, it can be anything. It really can be from the simplest mundane task to the most complicated task that we do. I don't know if that's answering your question. No, yeah, it's,
0: it's it's good. You know, what's, what I find interesting is that, uh, it's all about clarity, right? So I think a lot of times expectations are a problem because one, like we said earlier, other people don't know about my, what I'm expecting from them. Right. And so they can't, um, I heard this at a different conference, uh, you know, a hundred percent of my expectations, um, of my unspoken expectations are unmet, right? Like,
1: well, you but, know why? <laughs> because they're unspoken. <laughs> <laughs> because they're in your head, they're a thought. Yeah in the brain in the brain, there is a a place which really we're working on trying to identify right now, where a thought turns into an expectation. There's a little gap in the brain right there mm. where that synapse turns the expectation into an action from from a thought to an expectation to an action. Because everything we do, I challenge people all the time, tell me one thing you do that is not based in an expectation. It is difficult yeah. from breathing to working on the most complex issue. We, everything in our pr- brain processes as a thought, it becomes an expectation, and then it becomes an action. And if it doesn't become an action, it remains a thought. Yeah. And thoughts get lost in all of the clutter that's in our brain. That's why I put a, a, a chalkboard in my shower and I write down my shower epiphanies. Oh, nice. Because, because they come and go so quick that I have to write them down. So uh, everything we do is based in expectation. Everything. Yeah. I, I challenge anybody to tell me something they do that is not. That's I mean, an- even, e- even our prayer. Even our prayer is based in an expectation.
0: Yeah, well, we talk about that sometimes, right? Pray expectantly. Right. And then we wonder, you know, when we're praying for healing for somebody, and I'm going, I, I you know, God, I want you to do this, but I don't know if I expect you to like that's a that's a thing. And what what would change if we did, right? What how might God act differently if we if we did expect him to show up and do
1: that? Um, I, I mean think, I think it would change for the positive. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, w- so. it, because it's a sign to God that we've surrendered. to his his will, that we've surrendered to him. I think think you, you may have just verbalized something that I've been trying to think about for a long time because I think God finds pleasure in us carrying out the expectations he has for us. And I say to people all the time, what matters more in your life is what you expect of yourself than what other people expect of you. Because you cannot control other people, and God doesn't want us to control other people. That's up to him. He, he lays the judgment. He does all that stuff. We are, we are our own captain, and he has given us the tools to live the life that he wants. So our expectations of ourselves are the ones that matter more than anything else. Because if you try to live up to other people's expectations, you're not living your authentic life. Yeah, God that, is not pleased with that,
0: right? That's interesting. And there's there's so many examples throughout Scripture where people uh, go out of their way to not live up to the expectations of their society, right? I mean, Jesus is. Let's just start there, right? At the top oh, yeah. of the pyramid. And I mean, he he. How many expectations did he did he break? I've been reading through Mark, and there's these times when he's kind of on a. There's it's just a section about the Sabbath where, you know. The, the, the Pharisees ask him, well, are you going to heal this guy on the Sabbath? Cause that's considered work. And he's like, what, you know? Yeah, of course I am. What's better. What's better to, to heal this guy or not. And he kind of breaks the, the expectation because he knows who God has made him to be, you know, to bring, to bring healing to the, to the broken. And, and that gives uh, me goosebumps. Oh, awesome. That's yeah. That's amazing. I, I love that. I love that about Jesus interesting way to apply the idea of expectations to him and what was expected of him in society. Um, I'm going to be thinking about that for a long time, Art.
1: Oh, that's, th- there's a purpose in having me on the show. And, you yeah. know, I think God really encourages us to to really think through these things because he, his expectation for us is for us to do and learn and teach. I think God wants us to to become almighty doers and and learners and teachers so we can teach others and that's how the earth is going to be saved because if we don't start doing it it's it's going i mean we're you know what's going on right now in the political realm and everything and uh, uh you know i often wonder what god is you know is looking down upon us and going Mm-mm-mm. When am when are my children gonna rise? You know, when are we gonna gonna start teaching and being the example? I mean, that's that's the true test of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's signs for hope. I think the church is in certain places uh starting to to do some things. This is one of the interesting things. So, uh, you know, we, I don't want to get too terribly political, but what I love about <laughs> there's there's. As a conservative, I like a lot of things Donald Trump has done. Not everything, and I don't like his style for sure. But I understand. <laughs> but on the other hand, I love that because of his own background and his life, uh, it has to. It raises a lot of questions for evangelicals about: Are we still going to be as you know, um, you know, lockstep with the Republican Party and with with this guy? And we have to kind of think about it a little bit harder. Um, you know, and about, you know, whether or not that this is a direction that we, that we want to go and whether or not the kingdom of God is the same as the, the United States of America government. Right. That's, and that I think is a very important distinction.
1: Oh, it is absolutely. And, you know, uh, I think that uh, like all things that God's involved in, it's about evolving. He, uh, he wants us to evolve and, When we're when we're in this process, and particularly with the way Donald Trump is going right now, uh, I think it's the first step in the evolution of what God has planned. You know, and and it's, it's shocking. It's shocking. But I think that that's what the world needs to be shocked.
0: Yeah, it could be. I, d- I don't know what what's where that's going, and I'm not going to make any predictions. Those people always go down in flames. So, <laughs> but uh, and I don't mean they go to hell. I don't mean that, but I, I just mean that it's it's never happens. But that, so we'll see we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, I think I think that's an interesting application of what we expect in the political realm, though, right? And thinking about yeah,
1: it. well, and that's what I've always taught people is that our expectations we have social expectations. We have personal expectations. We have uh, political ac- expectations. We have so many different varieties of expectation that it just permeates everything that we do in life. And that's why it's so important to teach your children how to manage their expectations. Because if they can, I, somebody asked me at, at the conference that you and I were just at if you could teach your ch- child one thing, what would it be? And I said, I actually did it. All three of my ch- children, I taught to, taught them how to manage their expectations. And it has served them so well. Wow. So that would be what I would want to do for every child in the world, to teach them how to manage their expectations. We can expect high occurring things, but we also need to learn how to manage the low Ex- expectations that we're going to uh, be confronted with, because expectations are like a uh, a bell curve. They just go up and down, up and down. Yeah. And that's the way that life is. It, God designed it that way. We're not supposed to be happy 24 hours a day or have every expectation met. How would we grow? How would I have mm. grown to who I am if at nine years old I had stayed in an a, a urban area, played baseball all my life, gone and played professional baseball, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. I wouldn't be fulfilling the promise he wow. had for me. And that's, I believe that when I spoke to God as a nine-year-old up on that hill, that what I'm living now is what he had planned for me the whole time. My job was to do exactly what he told me, to be faithful, to be faithful to him. And it would come. Wow. And it's And it's here.
0: Art, that is powerful. Thank you for that. I appreciate this introduction to expectation therapy and your story. You know, God, God definitely has been working with you, and I think. Um, it is amazing. So friends, if you want to learn more about expectation therapy and what art and I are talking about, um, I've got links to his book on the, on the show notes in half, at um and his, and arts website. and as always, um, everything else that goes along with the show notes there. So check that out. And uh, Art, um, you are at expectationtherapy.com, I believe. Is that right?
1: That's correct. Perfect. Anything else you want to leave us with? Be faithful. Be faithful. Examine yourself in a place that you can just be honest with yourself and don't sugarcoat it. Accept it. Be faithful and just keep moving forward and become a doer.
0: Oh, that is fantastic. Art, right, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you sharing your story.
1: Thank you. It's my honor. It's my blessing.